0: This is the O-RISE FeatureCast, a special edition of Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, for conversations with O-RISE research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the
1: O-RISE FeatureCast. Hey Jenna, how's it going?
0: It's going, how are you doing?
1: (laughs) It's good, week 993 of self-quarantine and working. Yeah. For feels like, right. I'm
0: feeling it this week for some reason it has just hit me this week. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was I was off yesterday I was actually doing a virtual lobby day for ah. my life outside of ORU and ORise and it was exhausting I mean even though I was at home all day talking to lawmakers like It felt like I was in D.C. running around like a crazy person like I normally would be doing.
0: It's cool, though, that it could continue like that.
1: It is is cool that it can continue. And it's a great thing about what we're doing today because we're
0: (laughs) doing our
1: (laughs) our podcast completely virtually, too. um, And we have a great guest today. I'm so excited about this because... Jill Vachana was one of the first people I think I worked with um, when I came to ORU three-ish years ago um, to work on that um, Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship and kind of spreading the word about that program. And so I'm really happy to have her here to talk about the Einstein Fellowship Program and the other very interesting things that she has <laughs> going on in her life. So Jill, welcome to the O'Rice Feature Cast.
2: Thank you so much, Michael and Jenna. It's, um, I didn't realize that I was one of the first people you worked with. I, I Wow, that, that's impressive. I'm excited about that. And yes, 999,000 days of sequestration <laughs> is happening here in the D.C. metro area as well. I'm glad to so, hear that you were on the bill too.
1: <laughs> so, and y'all are i mean d c is pretty much still in the state of like deep quarantine, there's not a whole lot of loosening of restrictions right
2: oh no, no loosening whatsoever of restrictions, so i'm in Montgomery county actually, I live in right outside in the d c metro in Rockville. <laughs> yeah and so what's interesting for us is that whenever I hear people going to the grocery store, I hear people going to the store, I hear people actually walking out and doing kind of quote unquote normalish type things we aren't doing any of that. We instacart all the groceries we don't go out you know we go outside to play, but there's no um, no no people or kids, no parks, none of that stuff is open so yeah
0: which is which is crazy for you because when you say we
2: you mean I mean I mean we with a big capital W.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and maybe a capital not... E at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. E, yes. Explain that. Explain how many people you have in your house right now. Uh
2: nine hundred and ninety-nine no. Um, <laughs> so. So my husband and I have been foster parents for 13 years, and uh, we have four uh, amazing kids who have been adopted out of the foster system, and one currently in the foster system. And so that's five kids um, that seem like 999,000 with the capital <laughs> W and a couple of E um, that you know every day have to Zoom call and take virtual lessons and do the homeschooling, and do the jobs of two adults. Um, Yeah, and so that's, that's, we are still knee-deep in the working from, what is it, WF.H, working from home, um, (laughs) with no sign of offices anytime soon.
1: (laughs) I always joke that when I see those three letters, I think of another
2: Yes. Which does not mean the same thing. I I do as well.
1: (laughs) It does not mean the same thing. Um, So, Jill, and so all of this started with Quarantine Madness in March, which for you is like the busiest time of your year because you manage the Alfred Einstein Fellowship Program for the Department of Energy. and tell us a little bit about what that program is and why like march madness is for real. Whether I love
2: that you yeah, you I love that you called it, it march madness. So, typically, um, my everyday like career life is I'm a project manager for the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship Program, which brings teachers, STEM teachers to the DC area for 11 months. And what we do during that time is They work in a federal office and we support them on on the project team in making sure they have professional development that really enriches their specific plan. So whatever plan they come with and what they'd like to really um, expand upon in their STEM career, maybe it's policy, maybe they want to learn a specific skill, maybe they want to expand. I have one teacher I just talked to who's working on his physics program and really revamping the way physics is taught throughout the country, um, which amen brother for that. Um, Yeah. And so I think that, you know, normally right now, it's very, very busy anyways. And March is a time in which the fellows are heavily um, into conference season. And so when the governor, when Governor Hogan shut down Maryland, we were actually all at a conference. We had just finished a panel in which we probably had, I don't know, 70 or so people that the fellows had spoken about their experiences. You know, I always have fellows and alumni talking, so there were a bunch of alumni there as well. Um, and then we went back to the booth, and we were talking to people who were continuing to be interested in, in doing that kind of booth babe moment where you're handing out information and sharing about your program when the person got on the loudspeaker and just said, uh, the governor has just shut down Maryland in a state of emergency, um, so we'll need you all to pack up. <laughs> <laughs> and what, wow. yeah. You know, but I'll tell you, this just speaks to teachers because as a former DC public school teacher, I can tell you, you always have a plan B and these teachers were fabulous. That booth was packed up in like 2.2 seconds. And they're all like, okay, so what can we do next? Like yes, I'm ready to go. I mean, no lie. Pivot is like middle name of every teacher. And these teachers wow. like really genuinely we got everything packed up to be shipped back to um, Oak Ridge. And then what we were supposed to do is go to sh- Chicago next. We actually were supposed to pack everything up and send it to Chicago conference next. And I said, you know what? I have this feeling we probably should just <laughs> ship it back to Oak Ridge and just put that on pause. Um, and that's what we did, thankfully, because if not, it would have been in Chicago for the next couple of months. Um, right. Because what we ended up doing is all of us after that conference, became part of this pandemic. And so all of the fellows who were in DC for the, you know, until July went back to their homes um, and continue to do their jobs from their homes. So Capitol Hill fellows continue to work with constituents every day. Um, Fellows at NASA are writing those NASA, the fabulous NASA at home lessons. Um, Fellow at Library of Congress is having virtual Library of Congress hours so you can tour the Library of Congress. Um, and then our fellow at Carter Rock is doing something that's called Wavelets, which are all um, activities that parents and kids and teachers and any STEM professional or any non-STEM professional can do with, with students. And so they continue to do their work and I continue to do mine. We just have to think out of the box in the way we give the professional development. So I just did a really fun activity um, full day PD with uh, the national african-american history museum um, downtown and though it would have been fabulous to be downtown in that museum we did a really great pd and it worked out well and the fellows were into it and um, the presenters were into it so it was great so we just had to pivot but i think that nobody pivots better than teachers they just you know they always have a plan b and something in their pocket so that's we continue on
1: And so they're still doing their thing and you're still doing your thing. And um, it just happens that you do Zoom meetings and Zoom calls and you might have a bunch of kids rolling around <laughs> your desk and in the background.
2: Yeah, and it's too bad you can't see this. But um, I, when you said that, I actually looked to see what was under there. So currently there is a box of Legos, a lunchbox, and a Groot, a singing, dancing Groot. No lie. No um, lie. <laughs> And that's what's under there now. But, you know, at any given day, there could be a costume. There could be some Barbies. It just depends on what, you know, who wanders in and what they're playing with at the time ends up underneath my desk. So, yeah, <laughs> the, kids, the kids will sit through the lessons and, you know, sometimes in a meeting or someone will hand me some a computer to fix or print off something or have a question and they, you know, they've. Then really the older, my oldest is 14 and she's our kind of like woman on the stage slightly. I, I say that I don't know how we're going to do it without her these days because if my husband and I are both in meetings, you know, that 16 month old can get loose from one of us. And so <laughs> that 14 year olds pretty quick. She chases her down and <laughs> makes sure she doesn't pop her head in and then won't leave for the meetings. But, you know, sometimes it's just, especially the five-year-old, uh, she likes to come in and just sit under the desk and play something. So if she's going to be quiet, fine. I don't, yeah, she she can, as long as she doesn't interrupt too much or ask too many questions, I can normally handle that. So she just plays under the desk and keeps it, keeps it rolling.
0: That's fantastic. So speaking of pivoting, you've had to pivot your way of normal life and work life there at home. And so how do you handle, I mean, you know, helping your children, like you said, five kids with schoolwork, they're gonna, they have to continue with their schoolwork and with meetings. Has your manager been really understanding? I mean, how how do you balance all of that?
2: Uh, It depends on the day. So, uh, you know, the (laughs) article that came out that makes it sound like there's some sort of superhero cape is not true. That is not (laughs) just, you know, like, it just depends on the day. And we, I have a fantastic manager. Um, Egri Gregory has been by far, she, she knew, you know, in the beginning we did not have five kids. We had three, five years ago. Um, And she knew we were foster parents. So she knew at any given Sunday we could have more kids and kids could wander in or not. So that has been something that she knew kind of came with the Jill Lachana package, um, but has been more than understanding in this situation. Um, Our sponsor too at DOE, Jan Tyler has also been fantastic. And sometimes in the afternoons, you know, I do mornings in my office. And so right now I'm in, my, in the home office that's in the basement, it's pretty quiet down here. And my husband takes the, the full role of starting up Zoom calls, making sure everybody gets on their calls, making sure everybody gets in their classes. Um, and then at lunchtime around noon, I come upstairs, I make lunch, we all sit down and have lunch together. And then normally in the afternoons we go outside, we play um, a couple games and then I make sure everybody's work is turned in. And so like we've kind of balanced that my husband then does afternoons down in the downstairs office and and we've been doing this now for two months, It it seems to work pretty well for us. Like I said, it's no perfect system whatsoever because there's always some sort of glitch or I have an afternoon meeting or in his case sometimes he has a morning meeting so that's when we have wanderers or kids who will come in and sit under the desk or, you know, um, in some cases, somebody has to take a Zoom call and they're behind me in my team meetings. But my team is fantastic, too. You know, the SOD team, they, they know that, like, I have five kids. So, they will sometimes see the kids in the background and, and it comes, it's funny because they'll, they'll wave at the kids and the kids will wave at them and then it just, okay, then, you know, we kind of just move on. So there'll be right. sometimes a kid that'll be behind me or they'll know that there's a kid underneath the desk, especially if it's the afternoon. If It's the morning my husband is completely handling it for the most part. But, you know, there are little feet that are padding, as I said, little feet that are going, I can hear them upstairs. I'm probably the only one that can. But um, I can hear them running around upstairs still.
1: It's that sense, right? Uh,
2: oh, yeah. Like, that has, you know, as a former teacher, like, it's always been pretty on point that, you know, I was a middle school teacher. So, like, I honed that to a superhero skill, that knowing when there's some shenanigans happening is something that, yeah. So I can I can I can give the look without any words, and I'll do that occasionally. There's a point and a stare that says you like you are mine. <laughs> Knock off the shenanigans and I, I you know the look. You know the look. Mama, mamas mamas get it, and then you yeah. like like by this many kids, I, it, is <laughs> it is lazy.
1: It is lazy. It is. It gives me that look at work all the time.
2: So, right. yeah, <laughs> so then you know it means so you better know. you better come correct is what that look looks like like,
1: you better,
2: right. like i am not playing with you i own your next meal you best come <laughs> correct.
1: so jill you said you you and your husband your husband's name is neil right yes you've been fostering for 13 years how did you get involved in fostering children
2: so um I taught. In, if it's
1: not too personal. Not sometimes. at all.
2: No, and, and I want to like give full, amazing credit to my husband because I'm not a single parent at all. I don't know how people do foster as single parents all the time around the county, but I was a foster parent before I met my husband. Um, I taught in Anacostia, which in D.C. is is a highly impacted area. The kids there really desperately needed a lot, and um, I learned pretty quickly. One of my students, um, she hadn't had electricity all year, and that's why she wasn't turning in her homework. Um, And so she was the reason I became a foster parent, because I couldn't bring her home safely and legally without becoming a foster parent. So I became a foster parent in D.C., and then when I met my husband in Borders Bookstore, um, I was doing some research for a curriculum, and he came up with the very heavy line of, hey, what are you reading? Seems interesting." Which we laughed because he has no line. He has no no swag, what that goes with. Um, But it worked. So it obviously, it worked for me. But I told him before we went on our second date, so that was kind of our first one when we met. Before we went on the second date, I said, listen, I'm a foster parent. Uh, I come with this, and this is what I'm going to continue to do. So I want you to know that before we before we continue dating. And um, so he didn't call me for a week. And I was like, yeah, I, st- I mean, our anniversary is yesterday. So I remind him of that. Our 15 year <laughs> anniversary was yesterday. So I reminded him that, like, you didn't call me for a week and he goes, I had to really think about it. Like, it's a really serious deal. And it is, it is a very serious deal. Like he knew that it was important to me, but it was also something I was gonna continue. So then when we got married, um, he became one as well. He started taking the classes and got licensed and certified. Um, and then when we moved to Maryland, we had to do the certification all over again. And we did Gosh. that and then just yeah, kept it going. Um, and that little girl who I first became a foster parent for is a um, social worker uh, manager in North Carolina. She deals with all of the cases that come into that tiny little town and manages, the, manages them all. Um, I was there for her high school graduation, for her undergrad graduation, and her master's graduation. And as she says, I always harass her to greatness. So um, I I consider her to be by far one of my greatest achievements.
1: That's amazing. I love that story. I don't even know where to go from (laughs) there.
2: Well, and if you met this little girl, she, um, well, she's not little anymore. She has her, her own children and family. Um, but if you met her, her story is just, continues to amaze me. And yeah, I will harass her to greatness. I told her I will harass her to the grave. She will never be rid of me. But yeah, yeah. she is She is what my kids call aunt, you know, they call her auntie. So um, she's always been a member of their family. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's wonderful. Um, so now you have a house full. Yeah goodness gravy for real. <laughs>
2: for
1: real and you know you've talked about you know balancing their school and your work and Neil's work and um you're not leaving the house much if at all um going out in your yard but not anywhere else um are how are they handling all of this you
2: know so one of the things that I always hear, you know, from everybody else is they're trying to teach their kids to be independent. They're trying to teach your kids to be resilient. They're trying to teach their kids, you know, tenacity. And I think my kids come with that already. You know, they've been part of a very rough system. They've come from very, very hard beginnings. So tenacity isn't something I have to teach them, nor is this fierce streak of independence. Um, so I actually think that they handle kind of the unknown much better than those of us who grew up with the known all the time. You know, I, the one thing that they, they definitely need is a schedule and I set that up on day one so they'd know what to expect. And it's something that I knew from, you know, years past, like kids in care need to understand when they're going to be fed, when nighttime is, when daytime is like, what breaks? Like we all get dressed in the morning. We all are on a school schedule. So none of that is like, unusual for them to get up in the morning to get dressed to brush teeth to get down to you know breakfast will be at this time this is what you do with your bowl this is what you do with your spoon so all that stuff never changed for them and so for them they just pivot really well they bounce through this Um, the one thing that's a little bit harder for them and I will say this is you know they're they have the ability to kind of um, make a lot of friends really quickly, and then, when those friends have disappeared <laughs> they 've made each other friends, which is actually quite cute because they span an age from eight, fourteen, six, five, and sixteen months. But I saw them just like like now in lunch the the you know the two closest in age the the five and six year old were taking the sixteen month old 's tricycle and they were like pushing her along on it. Um, which if, you know, and gently not like pushing her down on it, like really, clean, like, I know, I was watching like, <laughs> Let us be clear. That could have happened. I mean, my parents and I are both watching as we're making lunch, but, um, what's great is like, they've really stepped up to, to take care of each other really well. And I love that because they're so used to being away from each other. They're not, all in the same schools they're not all in the same you know programs and so they're they're coming and going we are all doing that so what I love about this is they're really taking care of each other as friends you know like you know asking how's your day going or asking you how you slept the night before or um, what's really cute my six-year-old just asked me when I go how are your meetings this morning mommy and that's Uh like yeah and and that's not uncommon like he is all about like because I asked him how did your class go today You know, know, how did your work get done? Did you meet, you know, see your friends and your teacher? So that's been great because I love that they're able to just go with that and go, okay, well, these are the people, you know, the 16 month old thinks she's the only one on earth for sure. She doesn't (laughs) think anybody else for sure. And they kind of like go with that and say, okay, well, you know, these are my peeps and these are going to be my peeps. And, you know, there's clearly no one else near us. So might as well make the best of it.
0: Well, and it's probably making really good memories for them, you know, just forcing them into this. It's probably (laughs) something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives, just how close they got to their siblings during this weird time, you know, in their young lives. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, well, we
2: had, um, because it was our anniversary, one of them is infamous for dressing up for everything. Um, And she said, uh, can we wear fancy clothes? And I said, sure, wear fancy clothes to dinner. Um, And so she got all the other siblings to dress up. And then we had a (laughs) dance party. And she picked all the Alexa songs for the dance party. So there might have been like a tad bit of Moana there. But definitely definitely best hits from Frozen. Um, There was also like, you know, like what music did you listen to on your wedding day? So it was good because we, you know, my husband and I necessarily wouldn't, talk about those sort of things, but it gave us also pause to say, oh, like we need to share some of this before you all there was us story.
1: (laughs) So what, so besides let it go and (laughs) (laughs) uh, what else did you, what else did you listen to?
2: Oh, so, okay. So the kids might know that mom was really uh child fan and um (laughs) i might have let them know that because that was in rotation the 14 year old never forgets any of that stuff um there was there was a couple boys to men which was very sweet there were some whitney houston that was nice. Ah. my husband who is heavily like like old soul 1950s we had um a lot of the songs that were sang at the wedding that were by this acoustic group. They, uh, yeah, they, they would sing these songs. So there were several songs in the 1950s and 60s that he liked, and they nice. they remembered those. So it gave us a chance to share them, but also the kids are like, Dad listens to old people music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but they saw him, you know, get his kitchen swagger on. So that was always funny to them, and a little bit embarrassing to the 14 year old who's always like, <laughs> eh.
1: It's always mortifying.
2: Right? Mortified, yeah. But I always tell her that's my that's my jam. Like I love middle schoolers, so I'm kind of in that mindset of um, you know embarrassment is I use as my tool to get what I need and want at all times. So I know I can do that. I can pull that out even in the Zoom room. I don't mind you know Zoom bombing her class and letting her know that they didn't. She hadn't brushed her teeth that morning, and maybe. She didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Mom Or dad will come by and he hadn't brushed his hair and then he doesn't mind standing on camera either and being like, yes, this is what my hair looks like in the morning. So we will fully pull that out, you know, at any given time. High school too. Yeah. No shame.
1: Absolutely. I love it. So, so you foster children. When, when do you make the decision to, adopt to, you know, to officially, I guess, legally, with paperwork and judges and all of that, um, make the decision to add to your family?
2: Good question. So, um, we're emergency foster parents. So, we get those calls mostly Fridays and Saturdays, Mm -hmm. two o'clock in the morning, Um, and, We have always said that any child who comes to us is welcome to stay for as long as possible and until their situation changes, or until if it doesn't, the judge decides to have them uh, available for adoption. And so we've had one of our kids who boomeranged back, that's what we call it, where he was with us from age uh, five months um, until three, and he boomeranged back and then went out of the country Um, And we always told his mom, we always kept in contact with her uh, throughout that year and told her, you know, if anything ever happens, anything ever changes, if anything ever gets rough, you know that we love and adore him, we love and adore you, and we'll always be here for him. So she called us in that year, and she was out of the country and said, can you come get him? And. Um, my husband and I were both on the phone at the time. He was in South Africa and we're like, you're going to have to give us a minute to figure that one out. But yeah. We'll <laughs> wow. And so we did. Yep. We did. Um, and so he, he, you know, he was our first boomeranger and he's our six year old um, now today that, you know, we still t- stay in contact. We use WhatsApp to talk to his bio mom. Um, he calls her mom. He calls me mom so in in some cases it's not like that it's not like that in all our kids cases but for any of our children um we try to really develop a relationship with some bio family member so they you know with our one child who's in care she's been with us since she was three months old she's 16 months old now her mother is very very young um and so it's you know i'm not the most spring chicken i might be a little Older, let's just call it that. So the idea that I would have a 16-month-old and still be carrying a diaper bag at my season date is a little bit odd. Um, but I, I consider now to be a time and a season in my life in which I can pour into both of them. You know, she's a teenager. Her her bio mom's a teenager, and um, so for me, part of this whole being a foster parent is pouring into her. And for you know, for all of my kids who are adopted. Neil's the only father they've ever had. There's never any men in their lives, which just is heartbreaking. Um, So they know no other father. So in our um, six-year-old's case, whenever his bio mom called us, you know, she knew that he had a very strong relationship with my husband and knew him as his only father. So um, some of what we do is really pour into the whole family. And it's not just the child that you have in your care, you have to realize if you're talking to a 15 year old mother, you know, she's, she's a little girl too, and she needs a mom too. And there's a reason, you know, that she's also in the system probably too. So in some cases we're pouring into both as much as possible. But as far as adoption goes, totally decided by the court, um, but any kid who comes to us is always welcome to stay. And we would love to have them for as long as possible. Now I say that, you know, we fostered 18 kids. So I'm just saying that now and push pause. I don't want more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want more in this pandemic. There are too many. Right, right. Are too <laughs> ah. Yeah, I say that. And then I knock wood heavily <laughs> at the thought of all of them coming and staying forever. But, um, right. we, you know, that's what we've always said. And, and we mean it that, you know, if you come here, you always have a home here. You always have a soft place to fall. We'll always be here for you. No matter what happens
1: next. So, and I know out you're you're a huge advocate for other people becoming fosters. I mean, obviously, you've seen the need. You your heart has been moved, yours and Neil's both, to foster children and adopt children who need them and pour your lives into theirs and their families. Um, if people are considering becoming foster parents, um, what advice do you give? What What do people need to know about taking the steps that you all have taken?
2: So, you know, given this pandemic that there are no uh, teacher's eyes on kids, 80% of the children who come into care come into care because somebody saw them in a school setting.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And If there is no one with eyes on them in a school setting, you know there's going to be a huge flood of children who come into the foster care system all around the country. So if you think about it, an already overburdened system with already too many children in it, you know, 468,000 children in the United States are in foster care. So if there's already an overburdened system, you know there's a desperate need for foster parents once this pandemic lifts. And so before you, you always had to take the classes, these, you know, these home study classes and you had to take the classes and the classes were only done in person, which is so inconvenient for those of us who work full time and now they're being done online, which is such a great leap forward into the 21st century. Welcome uh, foster care. But I think what's great is all these classes are online. So you actually can take all of the meat of the classes, which normally take anywhere from three to six months, take them all online now. You know, like if you're feeling lonely and there are people out there and I see there's this huge surge of people adopting pets and, and I, I don't think that that's a bad idea. I actually think it's a great idea, but if you're feeling that urge or if you thought you were on the edge or you're interested, contact your local department of social services. Every city and county has one and ask them, I'm interested in foster parenting. What do I, where do I go next? They always have these informational meetings. They're probably having them now by Zoom. Um, but they're, they have these informational meetings. They'll get you started. They'll tell you the classes that you need. Take those classes online while, instead of watching like Netflix forever, you know, really think about the classes that you're, that you're gonna take because they prepare you for the next steps, which is the home study and then they'll certify you. Um, we're probably the only people that have a landline because it's required for our state and we have a fire evacuation plan and strange things like that. But I can tell you, those small things to think about, like when you get that call at two o'clock in the morning and there's a child that was in the middle of the street, in the middle of a highway, on the beltway, you know, on 495. There are children right now that, you know, somebody's going to see them because it's going to get warmer outside and the windows mm-hmm. are going to open into these people's neighborhood in which you have no clue what's going on behind your own neighbor's back door. Something could be happening to those children, but this the weather will change. It will get warmer. The windows will open. And then suddenly you're like, oh, this is why she was talking about the children flooding the system. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're being neglected right now. They're being abused. And kids are in desperate need of homes. And so all of those fallacies that you believe about foster care, what it is is the reason kids come into foster care is of no fault of their own. It is some adult that is doing something. It's not the children. It's the adult. And so revamp your mind and rethink about that whenever you talk about You know possibility of becoming a foster parent and then take a chance um everybody deserves a safe and loving home everyone deserves that opportunity to lay their head down at night and know that they're going to be safe and cared for and that they know where their next meal is coming from and so if you've thought about it take the classes call your dss and take the classes now and get certified
0: Uh, yeah i don't know how better to end that That's
1: it. That's a message. Absolutely. Um, Jill, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that you say about your beautiful children, your beautiful family, um, the the system, um, anything that we haven't covered?
2: Um, I will say this: my husband and I are not saints. There is no cape and like superhero kind of thing. There are really hard days make sure you build a village to go along with your kids whether you're their biological or not because pandemics like this I think really show that that village is a necessity it can't just be you by yourself you absolutely need to reach out to others and say hey I need help I need you know we have a whole pack of therapists that travel along with us whether it be occupational therapy physical therapy or mental health therapy and we are not embarrassed to preach about mental health therapy it's necessity in this house, regardless if the kids were here, <laughs> you know, so I'm saying like reach out because that is, it is more than necessary to build that whole village. Um, it's not just two people doing it on their own for sure. Right.
1: Okay. So you've got, let me ask you a little bit more about your village. So you've got um, mental health professionals, occupational professionals, et cetera, who else? other f- Family members for both you and Neil.
2: Yeah. So my clients, <laughs> My sister has eleven children, and one is biological. And so, um, yeah, we always laugh at him because uh, <laughs> you know if you're the only biological child in seventeen children who come into the house, it's kind of interesting because people will always ask him. He's the oldest, also, and all of the kids, and they ask him at 23, like, what was it like growing up with all of these children of all different races and nationalities and all different backgrounds? Um, what does that do to a, the child who's biological? And he said, it makes you less selfish. And I was like, yeah, that's what you want in your kids, right? Like it just makes you less selfish. He said, I realized a long time ago that I have so many loving, caring adults that pour into me from the moment I was ever conceived, everybody wanted me. And he said, so it makes me focus um, less on myself and more there's a big world out there. So we have a huge village of people who understand us regardless of what's going on in our lives because you know, my sister has fostered uh, for 30 some years and has had hundreds of children, she and her, uh, my brother-in-law. So we have, you know, those, those two who provide a big village of adoptive moms that I'm also very connected with, adoptive and foster moms. Um, but we also have grandparents that help out, though they haven't during the pandemic because they're in that, um, that age group in which we keep them away from the kids. So we just call on FaceTime. But there's still a huge support. You know, If shenanigans are happening in my house, I have no problem calling grandma. And I will put you on FaceTime and blast right there. And she will make you come correct. Like She'll, she'll make you come. I mean, like you think I have the stare? To grandma. Grandma
1: Grandma's stare is even she worse. She is not playing.
2: You know, she cannot, and she she's she's not about the bribe. She's not going to give you anything. No, she is telling you, knock it off. And so um, it works really well. And I, I'll, I'll pull that out anytime. So yeah, grandparents, aunts and uncles. And we also have um, friends who have just uh, decided to pour into us and come alongside us. So whenever we need a break or we need to tap out or we need a moment, you know, I can call one of them and no matter what's going on with my kids, you know, my kids have the normal meltdowns. They also have trauma related behaviors that are due to biofamilies and situations and triggers of all kinds. And there's nothing that can happen that any of my friends or family is like shocked about, like complete shocked about. They're just like, they roll with it. That's what it's going to be today. You know, we got to leave the grocery store right now and go sit in the car until the meltdown's done. Then that's what we're going to do. Or if we have to sit right here in the middle of Costco, which we've done before in the middle of the frozen foods and just sit and have, you know cry because something triggered you, then we're just gonna sit in Costco and cry a little bit. But you know, then we get up and we dry our face and we get the little snacks at Costco because that's why we're there. Um, and then we just keep it moving, right? So it's not, um, for me and for the village that we've built, we have a fantastic support system that knows that like, this could happen at any time. So we just need to be okay with it. I mean, none of my kids are the same race uh, or th- ethnicity or background. So it helps because we're kind of an advertisement for foster care or adoption. I mean, we, we don't match. My husband and I don't match. So it's not going to be odd. People are going to ask questions. So we might right. as well be good, good advocates. You know, we might as well be good at, at saying, hey, this is how it really is. And we're okay with it.
1: It's a Benetton ad, though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, People are like United Nations. The guy at CVS is always <laughs> like that too. Our pharmacist at CVS, he's like, "Where's the United Nations?" Um, yeah, and I, and I think that's that's best advertising. I mean, my husband and I are also of different cultures and different races, so we kind of knew that. We kind, of, kind of comes with the territory, um, you know. Whenever people talk about the diversity, I'm like, "Which do you need in the diverse playing field?" But I do, <laughs> right? But I do notice and recognize that there are huge equity gaps between how people treat my Indian and Chinese daughter to how people treat my African and African-American sons. And so it's different and it does speak to the disparity that is the United States um, and where we have to address um, equity gaps and knowing that there are problems that are associated with biases that we need to just start recognizing and calling them out. So, you know, my 14 year old who's wearing her pride shirt right now as she's walking around with my transgender daughter, like she's gonna always be the advocate and always because these are her siblings. Um, And I hope to continue to teach as my kids get a little bit older, you know, like teaching that that's how America looks and we all need to know that there's a place and a space that's okay for that.
1: I love it. Absolutely love it. Jill, one more question for you. What brings you joy?
2: Besides the very silent quiet <laughs> when everybody's in bed, because that is <laughs> like, I'm just going to admit, like, like at eight o'clock, mom is done. I quit. I'm done. And they always laugh at me because they're like, but we're still awake. No, no, you're not. You're not here anymore. You're in your rooms. Um, right. That does bring me joy. Double stuff Oreos. Not gonna lie, that and skim milk brings me a lot of joy really. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, I think that those, those little, like the, the dance party we had yesterday, was awesome. And knowing that, like, you can pull out a song that makes you know cracks you up a little early, Michael Jackson if my husband's there, or a little Beyonce <laughs> if he's not, um, yeah. and and knowing that, like, it's it's okay. Like, we could have had a really hard hard day. Um, on a big day, like your anniversary, it could have been a hard, hard day, but you put on a little song, you dance a little in the kitchen, it's gonna be okay. Like, it's gonna be all right. And I think that's like the end, I would say that's pretty much the Lachana mantra. Like we just, we stick together and it's gonna be okay, no matter how bad or scary it gets. It's safe, we're safe here and it's gonna be all right. We'll, we'll make it through.
1: I love it. Jill Lachana, thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
2: Thank you for asking me. I would, I, you know, with that DJ voice, I'd spend a lot of time just talking. We can just talk. You can just say, you know, speak whatever, Michael. But um, Thank you to you both, uh, Jenna, as well. I really, I've enjoyed it. It's nice. It's nice to be able to talk to all the ORAU family.
0: Thank you for listening to the ORISE feature cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit ORISE.orau.gov. Or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ORISE Connect. If you like Further Together the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.